and it can be found on page 1101 in the Church Bibles. <clears throat> I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about someone like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should chose, choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. For because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a message of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. We're going to start this morning with a story of grace. Aniron Bevan was born just before the turn of the 20th century in Tredegar, Wales, the middle of six children. His father was a miner. His mother minded the family. He grew up in a poor working class home susceptible to all of the problems of poverty and disease. As a boy, he had an intense stammer which made it hard for him to get his thoughts out and to express himself, and so he often got bullied in school, not just by his fellow students, but also by the unsympathetic headmaster who saw his stammer as a sign of weakness. As a result, he took to spending much of his free time in the local library. He absorbed as much as he could on any subject that interested him. He devoted further time to walking the countryside around Tradiga, speaking aloud, teaching himself elocution, and correcting his own stammer. This would come to play a crucial role in his later life. At 14 years old, Aaron Bevan left school and joined his father and his older brother working in the mines. He spent all of his free time in the Workmen's Institute Library. Nothing special, just a local boy doing what the local boys did. But because of his fascination with the library, and because he had overcome his own heavy speech impediment and a healthy amount of bullying in school, 
Anirin Bevan became heavily interested in the rights of the miners and the development of Tradiga. And he was especially skilled at arguing his side articulately. This led him to holding several local political offices before becoming a full-time union official in 1926, then a full-time member of the Monmouthshire County Council in 1928, and then MP for the Independent Labor Party in 1929. It was from this position as an MP that he would gain a reputation as one of the most outspoken members of parliament, being noted for his incisive oratory style in the House of Commons. All this from a poor lad who got bullied in school and entered the local coal mines at 14 years old. Bevan relentlessly championed the poor and the unemployed. He attacked the policies of both Neville Chamberlain and Winston Churchill in their succession as prime minister. And he had an outspokenness which no doubt caught the eye of the Labour Party. It was instrumental in his appointment in 1945 to health minister by the newly appointed Prime Minister Clem Attlee. If you haven't figured out where I'm going with this story by now, <laughs> Aniron Bevan was the architect of a piece of legislation called the National Health Services Act. It spent two years going through Parliament, but became law on the 5th of July, 1948. Due to Bevan's skill, patience, and application as a minister of the public good, the NHS came into existence some 70 years ago this past week. Hey, we get a better one than that. Yay! Due to Bevan's skill, patience, and application, now these are things that he got as a self-educated working-class boy from rural Wales. one who had to overcome his own heavy speech impediment at that, due to his skill, his patience, his application, we have the National Health Service today. Now, I've told this story for two reasons this morning. First, it is the least I can do to acknowledge the great privilege that it is to live in a country that has nationalized health care. It might be a bit understaffed and a bit underfunded at the moment, but I trust that the governing body of this country will ensure it turns around in the near future, especially with the eyes of the nation on its platinum anniversary. And second, and perhaps more importantly, I share the story of Nye Bevan because to me, his story echoes a lot of Paul's story. The trials and tribulations Paul faced since becoming an apostle all for the glory of building the church. These are the experiences Paul is aiming to tell the people of Corinth about in the part of his second letter which we just read this morning. Maybe this all chimes with me a bit more intensely because in my present situation, I'm facing a new church placement for two months starting in September, and I've already looked at a potential curacy for next year after I'm ordained. And so maybe these words hold special effect for me. But these are words that Paul is writing to all of us as the body of Christ. When I was researching Nye Bevan's story, I could find little which pointed to whether or not he was a Christian. 
beyond repeatedly coming across stories presenting the creation of the NHS as, quote, one of the most transparently Christian political acts in British history. It's no secret to the world, then, that Jesus told his followers to look after the sick and the poor. I think we'll take that. So when Paul is writing to the Corinthians in this letter, his aim is to address the skepticism that has been planted about him and about his faith by members of the community in Corinth. Mainly the type of people who didn't really want to leave their comfort zones or give away any of their accumulation of wealth to the sick, the poor, and the needy. Beyond this, there was a group he calls the super apostles, who were thought to follow Paul from city to city, attempting to steal away his converts to their own distorted ideas of what Christianity should be. To them, maybe mainly something that made them important instead of Christ. So Paul writes to the Corinthians about his authenticity and his authority of the great suffering, persecution, and opposition he has faced, and of the great personal weakness, the thorn. This is something he has struggled with as Christ's apostle. And that is where today's reading picks up. Paul is not one to boast. He doesn't feel comfortable telling other people about his accomplishments or his many strengths at painting a metaphor or of repeatedly winning souls for Christ, or of his huge vocabulary that still confounds some of those who read his letters today. Some of the people of Corinth mistook his humility for weakness, and that's the place where this particular section of the letter comes from. In the previous chapter, Paul warns the people of Corinth about the many who have begun teaching an alternate version of Jesus one which isn't exactly based in reality, one that isn't exactly based on what would later become the Gospels. And we still see people like this in our world today. Paul implores the Corinthians to remember his time with them, his sincerity, the authority with which he taught them, and to stick to their guns and resist the boastful nature and prosperity gospel promises of these teachers who falsely present themselves as superior apostles of Christ. Annoyingly, they might even possibly have referred to themselves as super apostles. We can't be sure if those are Paul's words of disdain or if that's really what they called themselves. So that sets the stage for chapter 12. This is Paul reluctantly boasting because it was what was expected at the time when this letter was written, that was the precedent for someone in authority. And what he chose to boast about is a most interesting challenge to the church in Corinth. He's going to tell them about his own weaknesses and God's sufficient grace for meeting his needs and giving him the strength to move past his failures. He's going to tell them a story that might seem weird to us today about a man being lifted to the third heaven 14 years ago and hearing words which captivated and inspired him. Because of the way passages like this might make us feel, 
weird. I'm going to explain the language of these lines. Now, it's widely assumed by the academics and scholars who write the books I vaguely understand from my biblical studies courses that the person Paul is talking about is actually Paul himself. And he's being too humble to just come out and say that. He'll boast if he has to, but he does not want to boast about himself. There's speculation that this is the Damascus Road story of Paul's conversion. There's speculation that Paul is talking about being confronted by the risen Christ. There are also questions about whether or not this was a physical or mental thing happening for Paul, in body or out of body. But since Paul doesn't seem to know for sure, there's little point in us speculating about that now. What we do know is that Paul encountered God. He talks about the third heaven. That's a term that people back then would have been well aware of. It was common poetic language in the first century Mediterranean, the blue sky above being the first heaven, the starry night sky, or outer space as we'd know it now, being the second heaven, and the third heaven being reserved as the place where God dwells. Paul tells his story to assert his authority to the Corinthians in as non-boastful a way as possible. It's important for our focus today that whatever God said to him, which we don't know because Paul has made it clear he wasn't meant to share it, sustained him in his continuing ministry and all of the trials and all of the super apostles that got in his way. I should want to be as good at Paul, I should want to be as good as Paul at keeping what God tells me a secret. Then again, I guess the fact that I am not is why I've been called to mission and evangelism in my own ministry. God knows all of us in our strengths and weaknesses, and he knows how to work with both things to his own glory. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in the reading today. He realizes that the things God has bestowed to him are not for him to gain his own glory or for him to feel really good about being such a selfless person. He knows he's not immune to the dangers of pride. For this reason, he has given a thorn in the flesh. That's what he's going to tell his readers about next. This affliction is what keeps him humble in his service to God. We all have one or two of these, or more, and I've got plenty. God knows all about them, and God is not trying to make us purge our lives of all of the things that make us feel inadequate. Rather, Paul's message is that we merely need to learn how to navigate them for God's glory, and so Paul shares his story. There's a lot of scholarly speculation about what this thorn is. John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, thought it was some kind of spiritual temptation. Martin Luther supposed it was the constant opposition and persecution Paul faced with people who tried to do, undo his work like the super apostles. The Roman Catholic Church believes Paul was battling epilepsy or sexual temptation, or eye trouble, 
or migraines or some combination of all of those things. The modern belief is that Paul probably suffered from protracted malaria, which has been and still is a danger in the Mediterranean these days if it goes untreated. We don't know for sure if any or all of those things are right, but what Paul talks about next here is the main point of today's message. At least I know I won't disappoint Donald with what I say next. It's right there in the ninth line. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Paul prayed three times, three times for the thorn to be taken away, and finally God spoke. Not the words Paul wanted to hear, but what was best for Paul's situation. Yeah, that definitely resonates in my own life. I'm glad Paul prayed three times because some cultures believe it's useless to pray more than once. Some people might even try to tell you it shows us to be of little faith. But Paul tells us otherwise. It's okay to pray for things more than once. Hey, even Christ himself prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed to be delivered from crucifixion. And again, God spoke into the situation. Not in the way Christ may have wanted, but into what was best for the sake of mankind. I wonder where we would be today if God had spared his son and things went on like in the Old Testament. That's a tangent I'm afraid I'm not going to have time to discuss today. The fact is, instead of removing the thorn from Paul's life, God gave and would keep giving Paul his grace. We need to remember that. God gave and would keep giving his grace to Paul. Each and every one of us can put our name in in that last spot where I've just said Paul. God gave and would keep giving his grace to John. God gave and would keep giving his grace to Timmy. God gave and would keep giving his grace to Emma. The grace God gave Paul was sufficient to meet his every need. No one took away Nye Bevan's poverty growing up in Tredega in Wales. No one took away his stammer. Instead, he learned to work around those weaknesses and found a strength greater than anyone could ever have imagined. And the lasting fruits of that strength and determination have produced what may be the greatest gift Britain was given in the 20th century. What God gave Paul was even greater. Let's not forget how much of the New Testament is filled with the faith of Paul. He wrote at least seven and is as many as 13, we don't really know if he wrote all of the letters credited to him. He wrote at least seven of the letters to the churches in the Mediterranean. He influenced Titus and countless others who would also feature in the New Testament. And his conversion story stands as a stark reminder that no one is ever beyond the grace of a loving God. If you don't remember that story, it's in Acts 9 and it's well worth giving 15 minutes to this week. 
God's outstanding grace helps Paul not only to keep going in the face of adversity, but helps him to jump outside of his own comfort zone and even face up to boasting in a manner he is comfortable with. And clearly, it was effective as a blessing, and we are still studying his words from this passage today. Let us all pray for that same grace together now in 30 seconds of silence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.